My name is Betsy Rubarsik, and I'm your host of Teachers Show Me the World, a podcast for teachers who want to venture beyond the four walls of their classroom and make their subject come to life through educational travel. This podcast will be a toolbox of tips, tricks, and resources that will enable you to create a world travel program at your school that will enhance your students' education through life-changing, hands-on, experiential learning and help you become a teacher who shows your students the world. My sister calls me last week, and I could tell right away, as soon as I picked up the phone, she had tension in her voice, and this was going to be an intense conversation. And she says, I have a huge situation on my hands. I don't know what to do. I should perhaps preface this story by saying that my sister is actually leading her very first trip with her students this coming June. And she's actually doing the London, Paris, Florence, Rome with the Capri extension. And so she's very new at leading trips with her students. And so she's been leaning in on me to kind of get advice and, uh, I don't know, little tips and tricks. And so when she calls me right away, I'm ready to respond. I'm like, okay, what's the situation? What's going on? And she said, I just found out that one of my students going on this trip was literally taken to the principal's office with the police waiting for them because they've been selling drugs. What? What? We say, rewind? Oh my goodness. Okay, that's a pretty big situation. And so right away, she ends up telling me more details about what's going on. And my very first question that I asked her, I said, do you have a behavioral contract? Have your students signed a behavioral contract? And there's this awkward, long pause. And she quickly says, yeah, actually, um, no, I've been meaning to do that. Yeah, I haven't quite gotten around that just yet. But I planned on having my students sign that before they went on the trip. But, um, yeah. Wait, wait. So you have a student who has made a major mistake, but you have no way to hold them accountable? And regrettably, she said, no, I don't. Well, that leads us to today's conversation and discussion of uh, what is a behavioral contract and should you, as a group leader, have one? So what exactly is a behavioral contract? Well, essentially, a behavioral contract is for students who will be traveling with you on one of your trips abroad, and it is a written agreement that lays out all the expectations and rules for behavior during your trip. It typically involves the parents, the students, and you as the teacher, and whether or not you are leading these trips affiliated or unaffiliated with the school, it could also include the school. And it serves as this guiding document throughout the entire experience, so all of the months leading up to departure of your trip, but then also on tour. 
So the contract outlines the specific behaviors that are expected from your students, as well as the consequences for violating those behaviors leading up to the trip or while on tour. It acts as a roadmap for maintaining student safety, promoting positive interactions with student-to-student or student-to-chaperone, and it ensures compliance with your students and the local customs and regulations. Because something that students don't ever really think about, and that's our job as a group leader to prep them for these sorts of things, when they're in a new culture, in a new country, they're accountable to those local laws. So why are behavioral contracts important? Well, anytime I recruit a tour of students, I always preface my initial recruitment meeting when the parents are there and the students are there. I preface the entire meeting by saying, this opportunity is a privilege and it's not a right. It is something that not every student is going to be able to participate in. And why? Because certain students might have behavioral records that are not aligned with my expectations and my program ethos. So, for example, one of my key phrases when I'm explaining this to parents, I'll always say, I am not willing to take a liability 4,000 miles across the sea. I can't take those sorts of risks. So this behavioral contract is something that allows me to be able to establish a tone for my program. So my students know that I have certain expectations and I'm unwilling to acquiesce. These are firm elements and points that are behavioral expectations that each and every one of my students are expected to maintain and obey leading up to my trips and then while on tour, of course. Ultimately, I have my behavioral contracts in place to ensure student safety. So many students don't realize uh, that these boundaries are to keep them safe and to keep the whole group safe. And so, um, you know, I can actually give you a couple of these examples. I, I don't want to scare you, but these are the sorts of things that can potentially happen while on tour. Now, I can confidently and reassuredly tell you that these two examples did not happen on one of my tours. These are true stories, and they did, in fact, happen. So the first example was a group of students in Costa Rica, and one of the behavioral uh, contract um, requirements that I have is students are not allowed to leave their room after they have been, quote unquote, tucked in for the night, right? So once we are done for the night, they are expected to stay within their room. Well, in this particular example, uh, there was a group of three boys and they snuck out of their rooms late at night And they were staying in a sort of hotel that was almost like a compound. And so there was a security guard that was guarding the uh, surroundings of the hotel. And the entire hotel had a, a large wall. Well, these three boys thought it would be a grand idea to sneak out of their room and cross over the wall and go to a local nightclub. 
And unfortunately, these three boys did not make a wise choice, and all three of them became severely inebriated. And as they were making their way back in the wee hours of the night, they get up to the wall of the hotel and they start crossing over it. And one by one, they jump down across the wall. Well, the security guard for the hotel sees the three boys jump over the wall and breach the security of the hotel. And he immediately starts yelling at them to stop. And he's yelling, stop, stop. However, he, of course, is speaking in Spanish. And these three boys did not understand what he was saying. And so when the yelling of the security guard actually escalates to the point where the man is saying, stop, or I'll shoot, the boys just kept going. And tragically, the security guard followed through with his threat, and he went ahead and shot one of the boys, and the student actually was killed that night. I mean, this is honestly worst-case scenario, but the point is the expectations of how you run your program needs to be laid out. And I don't know if that group leader had a behavioral contract or anything like that. Uh, I can only assume they did. And sadly, kids will be kids. But in that particular instant, it was a mistake that could not be turned back. Uh, Another example was in Rome, and a student thought it would be fun and sneak out of his room, his hotel room, out the window. And if you can imagine, an air conditioning window unit of the, uh, would stick out of the windows. And he thought that he could balance on one of these air conditioning units because he had to actually jump from one window to get to a different window where his buddy was staying. And so he exits, he exits his room, he steps on the next window's air conditioning unit, and then he's about to get to that his friend's window, and in the process, the air conditioning unit gives way, and the boy actually falls four stories, and he ends up becoming a paraplegic. And I know that these are extreme um, situations, but it's got to give you something to think about. And it really has always given me things to think about and how I need to make sure as a group leader that my expectations and my behavioral contracts um, are understood and are taken seriously because ultimately I have them in place to keep my students safe. So this leads me back to my sister's current situation. Um, the fact that she did not have her students sign the behavioral contract from the get-go, that was mistake number one. And I'm proud to say that she has since had all of her travelers sign the behavioral contract. But for me personally, when I enroll my students, uh, they are not even able to enroll on the, the trip until they give me a signed behavioral contract. This is my way to make sure that my students are held accountable the entire time 
leading up to the trip and then while we are on tour. And I personally have had to fall back on this. And I had a student similar to my sister's situation, a high school junior who made some really poor choices and uh, was being held accountable by the police for his choices. And unfortunately, he was not able to go on my trip because of the poor choices that he made. However, if I hadn't had that contract in place, it would have had a major impact and I would have had to deal with what my sister is dealing with right now. But because I had that contract in place, the student and the parents had no ground to stand on to challenge my authority when I chose to remove the student from the trip. And sadly, the student and the family, they were out a substantial amount of money. But because I had had them sign the contract, they knew that that was a consequence. And that brings me all the way back to that initial point where I will always tell my parents at that first recruitment meeting, I am not willing to take a risk or take a liability overseas. So what does a behavioral contract usually include? Well, it can include anything from the expectations, rules, and codes of conduct that you want to establish for your program, the consequences, and the all-important parental consent. So, for example, the codes of conduct Well, this is important because it helps you develop a code of conduct that outlines the expected behavior and ethical standards that you want to hold all of your travelers to. And this code of conduct should reflect the values and the mission of your program and what you want to have your program represent moving forward. And obviously, it promotes a safe and respectful environment for everyone involved, all of your travelers and your chaperones. I personally have never allowed alcohol consumption on any of my trips for my students, regardless of the fact that some might be 18 and they're allowed to drink in some European cultures. That's non-negotiable for me because I find that if students are legally able to drink and consume alcohol in a particular country, they are still immature enough to not know when to say when. (laughs) And once again, I don't want to take that liability. So for me personally, I've never allowed it for any of my students. The parental consent portion of the contract is really important because parents need to know what they're signing their child up right? And, you know, back to what happened with my student, uh, when the parents tried to challenge me and say, hey, uh, is there any way they can still make the trip, my student make the trip? And I said, no, I'm sorry, you've signed the parental consent. This is too much of a risk. I'm not willing to take it. And they they couldn't argue with it because they did, in fact, consent from the get-go. And then ultimately, consequences This is something that you need to think through because there are two variables involved. If your trips are school-sponsored, 
you are able to fall back on your school's policies. And you should be able to look at your student handbook and your school is going to back you and support you and uh, the consequences and policies that your school has will apply to uh, any of your trips, which that's really nice. However, if you are unaffiliated and leading these trips, so that means your trips are not school-sponsored, you really need to know beforehand what those consequences are going to be. In essence, the biggest consequence is obviously that student will not be able to go on that trip, or if the incident happens on tour, they're going to be sent home. But you need to have those consequences very clearly stated in your contract so that parents are able to know exactly what will happen and what will take place if their child does happen to mess up. If you are looking for a behavioral contract, I actually have one on my website, uh, teachershowmetheworld.com. And if you go to my free resources tab, you are able to click on that. And I have lots of different resources available there, but one of them happens to be a behavioral contract. And this contract is fully editable, so you can make it uh, and phrase it the way you need to to accommodate your group and your name and your school's name, so on and so forth. Now, I am not an attorney, <laughs> and I'm not claiming to be giving any sort of legal advice, so uh, that's something that I just want to put out there as a disclaimer. But uh, if this is a behavioral contract um, that you are able to establish, and if you are and if sponsored by your school, just make sure that you reference it with your principal and your administration just to make sure that all your uh, your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. But if you are unaffiliated and not sponsored by the school, you can check out my, uh, my particular behavioral contract. Um, there's others that you might be able to find online. So there's no shortage of resources to be able to um, access. So that's always nice. I'll include a link to the behavioral contract in the show notes. In in addition, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this subject, I just recently did a blog about student behavioral contracts, and there's a lot more information inside that blog post. I'll be sure to link that in my show notes as well. Up to this point, I've talked about my own personal experience and my sister's situation of using the behavioral contract with students who, leading up to the trip, messed up and obviously um, are not going to be able to go. But the question, the next question is, is really what happens when you're actually on tour and you're in that situation where your student or multiple students violate your behavioral contract, and what do you do when you're actually on tour, when you're actually on the road? And I'm, wow, I'm happy to say that out of all of the tours that I've done, uh, I've never had to do that except for one time, and it was really, really, really hard. So to give you a little backstory of what happened, I actually was taking a group of my students to Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. And when you take that particular tour, you have an initial layover in Quito, but then you make your way to the Galapagos Islands first, and then you ultimately backtrack and 
do the rest of your trip in the mainland in Ecuador. So we had just arrived in the Galapagos and we were on our first full day. And if you've ever wondered whether or not you should go to on tour at the, in, to the Galapagos Islands. Wow, I cannot recommend it enough. It was incredible. You are just immersed with nature and you're right on the equator. So it was really hot. And uh, it was our first evening after our first full day. And we had just had the opportunity to go to this really cool open market and all of my students were shopping and buying from the local uh, people and a lot of handmade goods that were for sale made by different Ecuadorian women. And it was just a really special evening. And we went to this beach and this beach was known for the, the sea lions that come up onto the shores. And we're watching this phenomenon. There are probably, no exaggeration, at least a thousand sea lions. And if you've never seen sea lions in nature, it honestly sounds like a barnyard bur uh, orchestra. <laughs> and these, these sea lions sound like cows and goats. It was such a bizarre experience. And we we're all having such a fun time. And all of a sudden, one of my students came up to me and she said, Mrs. Rabarsik, I need to tell you something, but you can't let anyone know that I'm the one who shared this with you. And she goes on to tell me that three of my female students, while we were just at the market, stole bracelets from this elderly woman who was making her bracelets and my students took these bracelets and wow, like instantly my brain had the behavioral contract flashing in my mind thinking that's one of my expectations. That's like a non-negotiable. You can't steal. And my students, one of my students was actually 18 on tour and my mind starts racing thinking, oh my goodness, like she could be tried as an adult and once again, that's one of those things that when you are in a new culture, you are having to take into consideration what the local authorities would actually do. And I, I verified with the student who told me everything, is this true? Did this really happen? And she goes on to tell me how the three girls were actually bragging to all of the other students how they were able to get away with stealing these bracelets from this woman. I knew in that moment the gravity of my situation. And I also knew that I needed to uphold the reputation of my program. So long story short, one of the key takeaways from this whole experience is, is that I knew I had to make sure that I could prove that the girls did in fact do the crime. And I obviously did not get the local authorities involved. Thank goodness uh, the local authorities never found out about this, but I was in fact able to prove that the girls did in fact steal from this elderly woman and 
two out of the three girls did in fact confess and felt great remorse. And one girl, sadly, her heart was hardened. She was never willing to apologize or admit her wrongdoing. So ultimately, the first phone call I made was to my principal. And I told him the whole situation. And he and I both agreed that we had thoroughly done an investigation. We found the evidence. And two out of the three girls have confessed. And so it was a legitimate behavioral, or rather I should say breach, of the behavioral contract. And so thank goodness I had the complete support of my principal. And once he agreed, I then went ahead and I called the travel group that I used to lead my trips, and the principal actually called the parents and told them what was going on. And he ends up telling the parents what ultimately is going to happen. The girls will be sent home. And I was able to work with uh, my student tour group, and they made all of the flight arrangements. So the very next day, uh, the girls, and that's, I was so grateful that the travel company that I use backed me up, fully supported me, didn't question the situation. They were there to just make it as easy as possible and as safe as possible to get the girls home. And so the very next day, the girls had to uh, leave and they were boarded on uh, flights back to America. And the thing is, is that not only was this only, I mean, we're just at the beginning of our trip. So they were out of the entire experience of the Galapagos and Ecuador, but also they had to pay for a a brand new flight to get back home. And I was really impressed by how my principal handled it because this was technically over our spring break. And when the girls arrived home, the parents and the principal were all at the airport to greet the girls. And uh, the principal brought them straight back to the school. And he began the whole behavioral process and punishment and consequences that the school would then um, put into place because of what they did. Some people may think that I was a bit heavy-handed with this situation, sending these three girls home. I mean, essentially, they stole bracelets that they could have paid $2 a bracelet for, but instead they chose to steal. However, my program that I have created has a reputation, and it was a reputation that I need and I needed to uphold. And in addition, I need to be able to trust my students. It, this whole thing happened so early on in the trip that for the rest of our 10-day tour, I would constantly be having to watch over these girls and keep them right next to me because I would never be able to trust them. And I think all of you would agree that when you take your students overseas, you need to know that you can trust them 100%. So even though it was perhaps one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make while on tour, it was a decision that I had peace about. And to this day, I have no regrets about 
what I ended up doing. And, you know, the whole situation could have been really, really bad if we hadn't turned it into some sort of learning opportunity. You know, they always say making lemonade out of lemons, right? So the students are now adults, and I know for a fact, and they have since told me later, that they completely understood why I did what I did, and they didn't regret me sending them home at all. They really, truly were remorseful, and they learned from that opportunity and that entire experience. So the major takeaways I want you to have from this episode are, first and foremost, you do not want to take a liability overseas. You have to be able to trust your students. Number two, do not allow students to sign up for your trips without first signing that behavioral contract. Number three, communication with parents. Be very clear from the get-go of what potential consequences could happen if their child breaches that contract in any way. And I don't know about you, but I recruit my trips 18 months out before we actually take it. So that's a year and a half where these kids have to be on their best behaviors. And so, and in that this contract will hold them accountable. So that is extremely important that you communicate with your parents about this and the gravity of this particular contract. Number four, what are the consequences? If you're a school sponsored trip, Know what your school's policy happens to be with these sorts of things. Meet with your principal. Uh, Know what those clear consequences happen to be and what are already in place. I mean, how wonderful that you can just lean into what's already been established. And if you are doing this on your own and your school trips or your trips are not school sponsored, then really have that thought out ahead of time. What will those consequences be? Will you send your student home? Those sorts of things. Ultimately, my hope for you as a group leader, as you establish this travel program at your school, is that the expectations have been established and that your students know that you have high standards and they will rise to the occasion. And each of your tours will go off smashingly. (laughs) So I hope that this has been informative and helpful and has inspired you to really think about some things that perhaps you haven't before. And if you have any other questions that I am able to help you with, and you would perhaps like to hear a specific podcast, I would love to hear from you. You can actually email me at teachershowmetheworld at gmail.com and pose any of the questions that you might have. And that is a great way to inspire me to provide you with the content that will most help you lead successful trips overseas. In the meantime, have a great day, happy travels, and see you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. And if you could do me a huge favor, leave a review because other like-minded teachers will find this podcast. 
In addition, if you're looking for great resources, be sure to check out my website, Teachers Show Me the World. When you go there, you'll find resources and additional blog posts that give other great tips and suggestions for how you can become a teacher that will show your students the world. In addition, we have a Facebook group that we would love for you to join. It's a great place to chat with other teachers and get ideas and inspire and support each other on this journey. Until next time, ciao!